What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your free premier resource for everything Ohio State news and athletics. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, on September 24th, 2017. It's Sunday. Hopefully, you guys are listening to this on Sunday night or during your morning commute on Monday morning or whenever it is that you are listening to this podcast. Before we get kicked off, I want to remind you to go to soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland to find all of our episodes there. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast by going to Apple Podcasts and searching The Hangout in the Holy Land. If you like the show, please leave a review. Also, tell a friend. The best way to help spread the show is by word of mouth. And if you guys like the show or if there's anything you think that we can do better, be sure to let us know there or send me a tweet at Dubsco or send the site a tweet at LandGrant33. We value all of your input. So the more we hear from you guys, the better. And like I said, if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. So we got a lot to talk about today. Ohio State yesterday beats UNLV 54 to 21. Second half, kind of not much going on there, but we're going to talk a lot about the first half. And to do that, I am joined by my buddy and fellow land grant contributor, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, I hope you are doing much better than I am today, my friend. I um, I'm doing well. I watched 15 hours of college football yesterday. I got myself a coffee. Um, not watching the Browns, which is a blessing. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good after that Ohio State win yesterday. Yeah, let's let's get into it. And before we we break down this game, we talked for a second before I hit record here. Um, in, in manning the Twitter account yesterday in this season during games, the one thing that I've seen, and and maybe this is just Twitter in general, and and I don't like talking about trolls or really any negativity in general, but there was a lot of people, especially after that first half yesterday when Ohio State was up 44-7 to and just put it on cruise control. And Ohio State looked really, really good in the first half. And is UNLV good? No, absolutely not. But there was a lot of people that you know were in our mentions talking about how UNLV is, is bad. This doesn't tell us anything about Ohio State. The problems aren't fixed. I, I still want to see Dwayne Haskins over JT Barrett. The usual stuff that you would hear. So what what was your take on Ohio State's first half, and what do you think that we can take away from this week? Or is there anything to take away from Ohio State, especially on offense? Well, I think um, because I, I saw a lot of the same kind of, I guess, idea, thought process of it's, it's just UNLV, and I think that that's just so, like, I guess it's just pointless. It's like a, that's such a weird argument to make because, like, yeah, it's just UNLV. That's the team on their schedule. I don't know what else. I don't know what else JT Barrett could do. I don't know what else the team could do. UNLV is the team that they played this week. That's not. That's not his fault. I think the team did the best they could possibly, really do against what's available. I mean, they won the game. They won it handily, and with you know, like no, it's not Oklahoma or Penn State, but JT Barrett threw for five touchdown passes. I don't care who that's against. That's still more touchdown passes than most quarterbacks threw for. It doesn't really matter who he did it against. Yeah, I agree with that. And just looking at the halftime stats from yesterday, Ohio State was efficient and explosive. They had a 62.5% success rate. They generated nine explosive plays in the first half. Once they got inside the 40, they were pretty much scoring touchdowns. 
every time they got inside the red zone, save for Paris Campbell's fumble there on the on the one yard line, they had they averaged over nine yards per play. So yeah, it's UNLV and UNLV came into the game ranked 126th in defensive S and P plus. And yeah, that's that's bad. That's one of the worst ratings in the country. But when you do that, when you play a team that's one of the worst in the country, then you put up nine yards per play. That's what you want to see. And especially for an offense that's been hit or miss in the last two years, even against bad defenses, this is what you do against a bad team. You blow them out. You leave them in the dust. And does this tell us a lot about how they're going to play against Penn State? Probably not, but like you said, Patrick, they didn't play Penn State this week. So they, they can only play who's on the schedule. And I think for as bad of a defense as UNLV is, I was really encouraged with what we saw from the offense. And, and I think that it's another step forward from what we saw against Army last week. Yeah, I would like to, um, to add, uh, looking back at the 2014 schedule, Ohio State after losing to Virginia Tech, they went and they they dominated Kent State and they dominated Cincinnati. And looking at those stats, JT Barrett had a good game in both of those games. And I just my my memory might be wrong, but I don't remember anyone complaining about JT Barrett throwing for 344 yards and six touchdowns against Kent State because it was against Kent State. I like, I mean, the guy is the best quarterback in Ohio State history. He's like the numbers support JT Barrett being the best quarterback in Ohio State history. He might not be the best pure thrower in Ohio State history, but it's hard to doubt his resume at this point. And you might not like his play style or the the plays that are called for him, but Ohio State blew out UNLV, and they've really, outside of the Oklahoma game, they've looked good this year. JT Barrett has looked good this year. Obviously, it would be better if they would do it against a big opponent. But, I mean, I don't think you can really ask for much more from this offense. Yeah. What um, what were your big takeaways from the first half? Because I agree with pretty much everything you said there. And I'm sure we'll, we'll catch a lot of heat from people saying that JT Barrett is the best quarterback in Ohio State history. And I think that you can make a very legitimate case of that. But just looking at yesterday's first half, what did you think of the offense as a whole, the run-pass differential, the some of the concepts that they used offensively in the passing game? I liked a lot of what I saw from the from the offense through the first quarter and a half because I think Dwayne Haskins and the backups really started to come in with about seven minutes left in the first half. Um, but I liked a lot of the schemes. Um, I thought JT Barrett threw the ball pretty well down the field. Um, they ran some interesting plays. They had a couple of really nice um, – throws down the field I know Benjamin Victor had a really nice touchdown catch in the back of the end zone but I still would like to see a bit more J.K. Dobbins he only had 14 carries for 95 yards in the time that he was on the field and he looked as dominant as ever but he just he didn't get as many touches as I would have, as I would have liked to see um J.T. Barrett only had five carries which I think is probably better for him that was nice yeah coming off of um options more than just design scrambles which I think I prefer but I would like to see more J.K. Dobbins still. Looking at Dobbins' numbers, he had 14 carries for 95 yards with a long of 25 when he just absolutely exploded somebody on that UNLV's defense ankles. And he does that at least once or twice a game in, in all of his first four career games so far. And we've 
every single recap that Patrick and I have done pretty much has just been a J.K. Dobbins appreciation <laughs> podcast. But, I mean, at this point, the guy, no matter what happens with Mike Weber, and I, I was glad to see that they rested Mike Weber again. There was no reason for him to play yesterday. But I think even when Weber comes back at this point, Dobbins is your guy. But, you know, I thought that uh, Weber or Dobbins, excuse me, he is one of the most quiet, I think, stat-gaining running backs I can ever remember seeing through the first four games of his career because even in the Indiana game, by the end of it, it was kind of shocking that he had put up so much yardage. Like, whoa, how did how did this happen? And it was kind of the same for the Oklahoma and Army games as well. And 95 yards yesterday, he's really just, I think, consistent with with how he moves forward, how he makes defenders miss. He's just always going forward. You don't see him get knocked back a lot. And I think it's really impressive for a true freshman to kind of play the way that he does. Yeah, I think watching J.K. Dobbins, it's a, it's really easy to kind of not really realize how, how well he's playing and how dominant he is with the football in his hands. Um, it's It's a feeling that I get. When I watch a guy like uh, Saquon Barkley run, you kind of, you kind of forget how dominant they are because they do it so consistently, and it's just it's so impressive that J.K. Dobbins can do that as a true freshman, 18, 19 year old, among you know all these legitimate college football players, and say what you will about UNLV or Army or Indiana, he did it against Oklahoma. I mean, he's been dominant in every single game of his college career thus far, and. I, I agree. He seems to just he seems to just get yards and you don't know where they come from. I think he had 170 plus yards against Army last week and it I I didn't feel like I saw him run the ball once and he just he just gets yards. What did you think of the receivers overall yesterday cuz you look at the stat line, 13 different players caught a pass, two receivers went over 100 yards which we'll have to go back into the archives. I can't remember the last time that happened. Paris Campbell with 105 yards on three catches and CJ Saunders with six catches for 102 yards. I feel like he's going to start to become a thing in like the, the gritty Ohio state's got its gritty white slot receiver for the first time since Anthony Gonzalez, or I guess Dane Sanzenbacher would be a more recent one, but getting to Paris Campbell, he had that early touchdown on Ohio state's second play. Very nice uh, 69 yard touchdown that he took to the house. What did you think overall of how they did? Because K.J. Hill caught three passes as well. Johnny Dixon had a couple catches. Jalen Harris later in the game had two catches. Everybody got involved in this one. Yeah, the um, the last time that Ohio State had two 100-plus yard receivers in one game, according to um, the GOAT, Jerry Emig, was 2004-2005, uh, San Antonio Holmes and Ted wow. Ginn against Notre Dame. Uh, so 12 years. <laughs> but, Jeez. yeah, I thought... I thought that zone six looked good. Um, Paris Campbell had, as you said, three catches, 105 yards, and a really, really nice touchdown, super nice touchdown. Um, Rashad Berry really impressed me. The tight end, um, former defensive end, had a just a phenomenal 38-yard touchdown run where he ran right through a couple guys, had a nice stiff arm. Um, I thought that a lot of guys really contributed and looked good. There was nobody with over six receptions. That was C.J. Saunders. Um, most guys had three or less, but K.J. Hill, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, even Austin Mack, Jalen Harris, a freshman, Trayvon Grimes, another freshman, and Benjamin Victor, who we talked about a little bit earlier, all got in on it, and I think all of them looked pretty good. They ran solid routes. They 
seemed confident in what they're doing. And while there was um, <laughs> two really kind of disappointing uh, fumbles from Rashad Berry and Paris Campbell on the one-yard line that need to get kind of cleaned up, I think for the most part the receivers looked really good. I'm interested to see whether Rashad Berry gets more significant playing time here in the next couple of weeks because just athletically for a guy that big and making the transition from defensive line to tight end the way that he moves is is so impressive and when the ball is in his hand we saw with that long touchdown he still kind of looks like a defender running with the ball like he's not really quite sure what to do but for a guy that's so green at that position I think that they really have something on their hands in him. Yeah, I'm not sure if we can submit um, Rashad Berry touchdowns as uh, Peisman Trophy moments, but I think we should try because he does look like a defensive end uh, running with the football in his hands. He, he's just—he's such a freak athlete. I know he played basketball in high school, and I think that—I think I'd like to see more of him this year. He played a little bit with the starters um, filling in for Marcus Ball, who wasn't hurt. He's just really hasn't done much this year. I think I would like to see Rashad Berry kind of take over at tight end I think that he provides a much bigger and you know higher ceiling target for JT Barrett yeah overall I thought this was probably the offense's best day so far most well-rounded they they ran the ball really well they didn't you know like you mentioned earlier JT Barrett only had five carries so it's not like they were pounding him mostly this this was a game to work on the passing game they threw the ball 44 total times and we got to talk about Dwayne Haskins because this was his first real uh, significant playing time and you look at his line 15 completions on 23 attempts for 228 yards had two touchdowns and one interception that was taken back for a pick six what do you think about the way that he performed in his real first action I thought he looked good I thought he looked like a redshirt freshman quarterback who came out as a four-star um, I thought he did really what people were expecting to see from him um he made some some kind of silly mistakes which was to be expected in his first real action he had a really bad interception where he just read the defense wrong but i think he showed what people really expected to see he has a lot of arm talent he's got he's got some serious zip on his throws he made um made a couple nice throws including a touchdown pass to cj saunders that was just too much sauce yeah he just he just zipped that ball but um he looked like he looked like the future at quarterback, but I don't think he looked like the president at quarterback as much as people want him to be. Yeah, and, and to get into that, because that was the thing on Twitter too, like folks, it's okay to like Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett, both. Like you, you don't have to pick a side here. Like you can want one of them to start over the other, but you can like both of them. Like that's that's okay. It's legal to do that. But I, I thought to your point that there were times where, especially on that touchdown to Saunders where you could see the talent there and you could um, you could see those traits that Urban Myers talked about where you know he was the best pure passer that he's ever recruited or he's ever you know gotten to to coach up and and I think that that looks pretty valid off of what we saw but he's also a freshman and we saw with with that pick six that you know that's a play that you just can't make and there were some other throws where it seems like he's really going to at least early on use that arm to try to bail himself out of some situations and that's to be expected for a young player but but I thought that all things considered you know he averaged over almost 10 yards per attempt that for that being his first action and and playing with you know a group of second stringers for the most part I thought he looked pretty good 
Yeah, and as you said, and I think that that's something that people kind of have issue with. Like, there's no reason that you can't like JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins, and I mean Joey Burrow. Like Joey Burrow is, he's really fun. He got in a fight with Doug Gottlieb on Twitter, and it was really funny. Like, you're allowed to like Ohio State's players. You don't have to pick a side. Like, I think JT Barrett's good. I also think Dwayne Haskins and Joey Burrow are good. I don't know. Like, people seem so quick to to pick a quarterback after the whole 2015, you know, Cardale Jones or JT Barrett or even Braxton Miller debacle. And I think that's kind of still plaguing the fan base. And hopefully that kind of goes away because there's nothing wrong with liking more than one Ohio State player at any given position. And I haven't really seen it spread to like J.K. Dobbins against Mike Weber. And I, I, I hope that I don't see it spread because I think quarterback is way more polarizing of a position. But yeah, I think... I think every quarterback that Ohio State has looked good yesterday, and I don't, I don't think that that really tells us a ton other than Ohio State recruits four- and five-star quarterbacks, and it's fair to expect them to be good, and all of them were. Yeah, I, w- I will say, though, that you know if you're somebody that says, uh, I'm going to disregard JT Barrett's performance and the five touchdowns he was playing against UNLV, on the flip side of that, you don't get to say, oh, Dwayne Haskins, he looked really good there's a lot we can take away from that it it can't work both ways like that like they they both I thought had their moments where they looked really good and I think that for both JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins and even Joe Burrow in limited throws he only had four attempts but completed all four for 37 yards I think that Ohio State's quarterbacks are in the best place that they've been in a, in a pretty long time or at least since you know the 2014 season so like what we're seeing from them on to something that is undisputably good. Moving over to the defense, Nick Bosa. Boy, he had himself a game. He had four total tackles, three solos, one sack, three tackles for loss, one pass defense that was the uh, the batted ball that led to Damon Arnett's interception. Man, he was on another level yesterday, and, and he's quickly emerging into the type of player that his brother was. Yeah, and I think, um, I think a lot of people were kind of expecting – um, Nick Bosa to work his way into the starting lineup as the season went on, just like Joey did when he was a sophomore. And I think that he he really has done that to this point. But I'm really surprised at who he supplanted because Tyquan Lewis has one tackle in the last three weeks, and it seems like Nick Bosa has kind of taken his place, which is just shocking because Tyquan Lewis is a legitimate first-round pick, and he's a really talented player. And I think that that just shows the the depth and talent that Ohio State has on the defensive line. But, yeah, as you said, Nick Bosa had a great game. Um, he looked good. He was dominant at most times he, if he lined up. Generally, when they lined up inside instead of um, on the edges, that was when he was at his most dominant because he, he could just give guards and centers fits, and he did that all day against an admittedly bad UNLV line. But, um, yeah, I thought Nick Bosa looked really good. I thought the defensive backfield looked better against a team that can pass and has a really good receiver in Devontae Boyd but they do need to clean up the um the pass interference yeah they need to pass interference on third and 37 because that'll be an issue against a team like Penn State getting back to Bosa and just the defensive line in general they set the tone for the game pretty early on and you can add Jerome Baker and the linebackers 
as a part of that as well, especially on some of those early design blitzes by Shiano that he used with Baker, they got pretty creative defensively and they did some things that I don't think that they've shown a lot of yet so far this year. So it was nice to see that from the defensive front seven that they were eating against UNLV's offensive line and Maybe this is something to keep an eye on as the season goes on. And it was a small sample size, but coming into the game, UNLV was first in, I want to say, passing down sack rate. So at least through the first two games, they were the best offensive line in the country at either protecting their quarterback or they got rid of the ball early. And I thought that there was some good things to take away from what Ohio State's defensive line did. And not only from a pass rush you know, point of view either, because you had Draymond Jones who played well again, forced to safety. Uh, Jalen Holmes is a guy that always catches my eye. I think he's the most underappreciated player on this team, and his raw numbers are usually not there, but from a disruption standpoint, I I don't know that there's another player on the defensive line that consistently gets pressures, gets into the backfield in the run game, and and causes as much terror as Jalen Holmes does. So big shout-out to Jalen Holmes. That's my guy right there. He's, in my view, the most underappreciated player on this team and has been for a couple of seasons. But I thought overall the front seven played really well. Malik Harrison looked the best that that he's looked. It was also nice to see uh, Keandre Jones and Baron Browning get significant playing time. And in Browning's case, the first significant playing time of his career, the linebackers probably played the best that they've played all season so far. And then to the to the defensive backs, I thought that Eric Smith really built on his performance from the Army game in the play got called back for, it was either a holding on Kendall Sheffield or Damon Arnett, but he made one of those plays that I don't want to say that it was Malik Hooker-esque, but he really ranged over to the left side of the field at least 20 or 30 yards and made a nice diving interception, but it was called back. But I, I think he's starting to kind of get comfortable in that safety role. But cornerbacks are still a little bit grabby. Denzel Ward still, you know, they're very aggressive in the way they play, and that's something that will probably need to get cleaned up as they face better receivers. But overall, I thought that the defense played well. Eric Smith has, I think the last two weeks, has really shown us what he can be, and um, I think that the combination of him and um, Damon Webb and Jordan Fuller all back there at safety is a good thing for Ohio State as those guys will continue to improve throughout the season. Eric Smith is a lot of fun to watch. But um, I do have a shout-out to uh, defensive tackle Dylan Thompson, who finally got on the field. I want to say he's a redshirt senior, um, played his first significant minutes he's had. Struggles being in the doghouse, struggles getting on the field. Um, seemed like for a while he was not going to be on the team this season. But he um, he got to play significant minutes in the second half. Three tackles. Um, had a he was combined. He was in on a um, attack for a loss. Got to the quarterback a couple of times. Um, so shout out to Dylan Thompson. Yeah, there was a lot of guys in that same vein. Maybe not you know redshirt seniors or with the story that he has, but whether it was some of the older guys or a lot of younger guys that saw playing time on the defense. You look, Jonathan Cooper saw significant time. Chase Young had half a tackle for a loss and four total tackles. Isaiah Pryor had four total tackles and one sack. So a lot of young guys getting some playing time yesterday, and I thought that you kind of got to see the future of Ohio State. And 
I'm, I, don't, I don't know if there was any chatter about how the defense played in the second half. They gave up a couple long runs. I, I don't know how much to take away from that because, one, Lexington Thomas is a very good running back, and I thought that they'd be able to break off some explosive plays, and he had the long touchdown run, had a couple of other nice runs. But for the most part, I thought that the, the first string defense at least kept some nice pieces for UNLV's offense in check. I, I think you said it on Twitter. so I, It was either you or, or Chuck said it that Armani Rogers, you know, he he did he looked overmatched against a defense like this, but you can tell that he's gonna be a dude for that UNLV team. He's a very exciting young quarterback. Yeah, I think that was um Chuck, but I agree with him. Armani Rogers or was it Rogers or Edwards? Rogers. Rogers. Okay. Armani uh Rogers, I'm getting him confused with the Appalachian State co- or quarterback yeah. from two thousand seven. Legend. Yeah. <laughs> but Armani Rogers looked he looked good. Um he looked like he's going to be, like Chuck said, a future, future really good player for UNLV. He had a really nice run. He's got, he's got really good size, and he was fun to watch. I mean, he obviously struggled against a defensive line and defensive group in general that was way better than his offensive line and just obviously overpowered. But he's fun to watch, and um, I think that he will, if UNLV is improving over the next four years under. Um, Sanchez from um, Bishop Gorman, their head coach. I think that I think that he'll be a big part of that. You have any other big takeaways from the defense? Uh, as you said, um, Isaiah Pryor saw his first real significant time uh, freshman. This is a guy who Ohio State fans need to know because he's going to be a first round pick in two years. He looks like a grown ass man already. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's a beast. He had a play where I think he got. There was a sequence where I think he got beat on one play, and then on the next play he had that sack, and he just like he's so good. <laughs> it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine that he's not, you know, a starter. But that's just there's so much depth at safety and there's so much talent at safety. But this guy will probably be a starting safety team next season, and he's he's so good. Well, if there's one thing that you can count on from Patrick and I on this podcast, it's to talk special teams. Drew Chrisman, I think, only punted once, at least you know when it wasn't garbage time, and had his ninth punt out of 13 go inside the 20. That's our guy on this podcast. He continues to show out, and I never thought I would be like, Cam Johnston who? But Drew Chrisman is, is doing a pretty damn good job at that. Paris Campbell had, a, had at least one nice return. At some point, uh, they're, they're going to take a kickback this year. Campbell's getting really close to breaking it. He almost broke the free kick after the safety back for a touchdown. And it's nice to have K.J. Hill back as punt returner just to have somebody that can actually catch a punt back there, which we haven't seen. And something we talked about that, you know, really struggled the past couple of weeks and something Matt and I alluded to on the preview for this game was the kick coverage. They looked really good after struggling for a couple of weeks. Elijah Goins had a couple nice plays, so like to see them bounce back and, and have a good game. Yeah, I was um, I was much happier with the special teams play this week, especially on the kick coverage, as you said. They didn't they didn't give up any really big dumb plays. Um, for the most part, they they tackled well. They looked good on kick coverage. Um, Drew Chrisman is still very very good. Both of his punts were down to inside the twenty. He's just he's he's a good puncher. Ohio State needs to appreciate having good punchers because there are some teams. Um, in the SEC that I won't name that don't have very good punchers and it gets them in trouble. And it's it's just, 
it's nice to have a puncher who you can you can trust to get the ball down there and give you give your defense a good chance to get a stop and he does that consistently but yeah as you as you alluded to Ohio State's going to get a kickoff return for a touchdown this season and more the safety punt after the kind of weird safety where we weren't really sure if it was a say or not he he took it 82 yards and was stopped at about the five he's too fast and he's too talented for him to not break one this season and let's hope that it comes in a big game like against Penn State or against Michigan yeah it's been almost seven years since the last time Ohio State took a kickoff back if you guys remember the 2010 game against Michigan when Ohio State was wearing those wonky throwbacks at home. Boom Heron took a kickoff back in that game. So it'll be 10 years by the time they play Michigan, and hopefully they've either scored on one already or they do so against Michigan. So nice bounce-back performance from the special teams unit. With Rutgers on deck, night game, on the road, what are you looking for as we head into that game? Because I think that... Rutgers is improved. I, I don't know if that's saying much, but this is still a game that Ohio State, I think, should dominate. What are your early impressions of that game, and what do you want to see? Well, I'm not sure if I'm as excited about the Rutgers game as the dog in the background is. Uh, they sound very excited. They, they're very excited for Rutgers talk. <laughs> uh, yeah, I personally, I love Rutgers, but I'm not sure I love Rutgers that much. But um, no, I didn't. I didn't really get the chance to watch a ton of Rutgers Nebraska on Saturday, which is probably a good thing because no one should have to watch Rutgers play Nebraska. But I did see a really nice catch um, where the ball kind of bounced off a guy's feet and he caught it with his butt, which was good. But um, I expect to see kind of a similar performance against Rutgers. Rutgers is not on the level of Ohio State. They're better than UNLV, but. I want Ohio State, and I want the passing game and the offense, and just in general, I want them to look like Ohio State. I want them to look like the more talented team. They should, they should move without much trouble offensively. They should, you know, avoid silly mistakes defensively when it comes to penalties or fumbling on the one yard line, and just you know, a nice, a nice easy win, another easy win. Just don't look, don't get embarrassed by Rutgers. Basically, is what I'm what I'm hoping to see. Yeah, I think that game in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see Ohio State, not on cruise control, but I think should be decent enough tests, but still games where they're going to kind of put their foot on all of these teams' necks and take care of business. We saw Maryland yesterday get trounced by UCF. So all that goodwill from the Texas game, I think, is kind of taking a step back, and you're seeing that Maryland is still going to have those struggles as a young team. So I, I don't think that game in a couple of weeks will be much trouble. The Nebraska game is interesting because it'll probably be a night game. So these next two out of these three next games, you're on the road. They're going to be in nighttime environments, even though Nebraska isn't very good. You know that place will be rocking. You know they'll want to beat Ohio State. So heading into that bye week before Penn State, I think that that provides Ohio State a good test leading into that. And you know they they should be they should be five and one heading into that Penn State game or six and one, excuse me. And I think that you're going to see a very good game there. We'll have to wait to to get to that. But I really like where they're at right now and. You know, as much as you can bounce back after a loss to Oklahoma in games against Army and UNLV, I, I think that they've done a really good job. Yeah, um, that Penn State game is going to be fun. I mean, Penn State was in a was in a fight with with Iowa um, on Saturday night, but I think Penn State's a really good team. I think Ohio State's a really good team. 
Um, it's in Columbus. It's I don't think it's a night game, which is weird. Um, I wish it was. But um, I believe that is a Gus Johnson called game. That should be that should be a lot of fun. But yeah, um, I don't think Ohio State should have much issue with um, Rutgers, Maryland, and Nebraska um, next three weeks. But that's I mean, when it comes down to it, they got to just win those games, and I hope, and obviously I think they will. Yeah, and for as much talk as there's going to be about that Penn State game, even if they win, that Iowa game is starting to kind of loom, I think, and be really scary as a trap game heading down into the later parts of the season. Because we saw yesterday for Penn State playing there, whether it's a night game or a day game, Kinnick Stadium, man, going to Iowa City, that that's a tall task. Yeah, Akram Wadley is... Um... He's really good. <laughs> he hasn't has been he hasn't been as good this season as I think some people thought he would be. But Iowa's got some magic. Holman, uh, um, that that's a game that Ohio State is going to have to give their full attention to, or they will get beat. Before we wrap this up, do you have any big takeaways from the general college football scope of of yesterday and everything that went down? Florida State's really bad. Alabama's really good. It's about. <laughs> um, TCU looked really good against Oklahoma State. I got a good chance to watch that game. Baylor impressed me against Oklahoma. I don't know if you got to see that game at all, but Baylor, it was like watching Adler learn how to walk. Baylor realizing that they have track stars all over the field. Um, and they didn't end up winning much. Um, but yeah, Alabama looks really good. Florida State hasn't won a game. I think if you look around the country, and if you want to be doom and gloom about Ohio State right now, and you know, well, we'll have to see how they do against another really good team when they play Penn State, I really don't think that there's a team out there. I'm going to throw Alabama in that too that's maybe a hot take. But right now at least, I don't think that there's anybody in the country that's head and shoulders, you know, if you put on the field against somebody that you can say with certainty, this team is going to beat this other top 10 or top 15 team. I think a lot of these teams right now as we head into October are pretty tightly grouped. If you look at USC, they really struggled against Cal. And, and I think the last two weeks against Texas and now Cal have been kind of damning on their flaws as a team. And they have a lot of stuff to work out. And even Sam Darnold has a lot of things to work out with the way that he's been turning the ball over. And OU, you mentioned they struggled against Baylor. Everybody was hot for Oklahoma State, and they didn't look very good against TCU. TCU looked great, as you mentioned. Even Clemson kind of sleptwalked through their game against Boston College. So if you look around the top 25, you know I, I don't think that there's a lot of standout performances. Georgia looked good against Mississippi State. Michigan, I think an 18-point win. Belisles how close that game really was for a period of time. So I don't think you can really look at anybody and say that they're hot or they're on a run right now because I think a lot of these teams are, are closely bunched. Yeah, and you mentioned the um, Michigan win over Purdue. I, I do have to say I'm very glad Ohio State doesn't have to play Purdue because I think Purdue would win that game. Purdue is really fun. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think that, <laughs> Pur I think that Purdue would score some points. Purdue is um, Purdue's like a grenade. <laughs> you don't know you don't know if they're gonna go off but if they do watch out because Jeff Brom's crazy <laughs> well I, I didn't even realize that Arizona State beat Oregon either I'm just looking yeah. at the top 25 right now because I was at Washington CU which was a good game for two and a half quarters but yeah even Oregon falling to Arizona State San Diego State barely beating Air Force whatever the hell happened in that Florida Kentucky game there's 
Yeah, I think that not that all these teams are mediocre because they're all pretty good, obviously, but I don't think anybody's standing out as a, as a great one right now. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, these are 18 to 22-year-olds. Um, some of them are more talented than others when it comes to players and teams, obviously. Um, the top 10 teams are more talented than the bottom 10 teams, but they're inconsistent, and... You know, it could be the middle of October, and I don't know when they play, but we could see Alabama lose a really stupid game to Ole Miss, and I wouldn't be surprised because that's what college football is. And it's it's really, it's not the kind of sport where you can you can go in and you know who's going to win the championship every season because you don't because weird things all happen, and it's it's just I, I think it's it's weird to be all doom and gloom about a team that's you know run by 18 to 22 year olds because maybe you know maybe they'll slip up they 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 tend to do that sometimes but and I know you you mentioned San Diego State struggling with Air Force but I do have to give a shout out to Rashad Penny who's the best running back in the country that's not named Saquon Barkley yeah you lose um why can't I think of his name uh Donnell Pumphrey yeah you lose Donnell Pumphrey and you replace him with Rashad Penny and he he's a beast he's so good. and I think like from a from a pure running back standpoint, he's probably better than Pumphrey just because he's a he's a bigger guy. But that San Diego State ground attack, man, they <laughs> Rocky Long is fine just running the ball fifty times a game. Yeah, the Bob Davies school of coaching. <laughs> well, you mentioned inconsistency, and one thing that is not inconsistent is this podcast because we are consistent and we are consistently bad. But we appreciate you listening to us and breaking down these games. And if you guys want to get in touch with us, be sure to send me a tweet at Dubsco. Let me know what you think about the show. Send the site a tweet at LandGrant33. And Patrick, where can they reach you? They can reach me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, spelled exactly how it sounds. Um, I hope they don't yell at me for saying Purdue beat Ohio State because <laughs> I stand by that take and I will argue it for hours. Produce fun. I don't know. I think people are going to yell at us for saying that JT Barrett might actually be okay. Yeah, I think if there's, if there's one Barrett thing people, <laughs> if there's one thing people will get upset about, and like if if this is anything like Twitter is, that's what people will get upset about. But send your upset tweets to Patrick and me, also to at Matt SBN. Um, and Land Grant 33, but try to keep it positive for the most part because we'll clap back at you. We're, we're not afraid to clap back on the Twitter account, but reach us there. Also find the show at soundcloud.com slash Land or go to Apple Podcast and subscribe by searching the Hangout in the Holy Land. And please be sure to tell a friend. If you guys leave a review too, I check that stuff almost every day, like masochistly. And so if you guys leave a review, We'll be sure to uh, to shout you out on the show and let you know that we always appreciate any feedback and uh, anything that we can do to help make this show better that, that comes from your guys' input. Also, be sure to check out all of Patrick's recruiting podcasts, and there's going to be at least one that drops this week with uh, with Matt. So be sure to check that out. We'll drop those as well. So we got a lot of content coming your guys' way. We'll also have the preview for Rutgers and then a recap next week of the Rutgers game. But until then, we want to thank you guys for listening. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. The spot was good. JT Barrett is good. Ohio State is good. And go Bucks.